You are listening to the Improv Save My Life podcast, brought to you on Bits, the Boston Improv Talk Station. All right, welcome to episode forty-three of the Improv Save My Life podcast. I'm your host Tom Boyer. This podcast is brought to you on Bits, the Boston Improv Talk Station. Today's co-host is Stacy Quirple. What's up, Stacy? Hey, how are you? Are we speaking loud enough? I feel like we're not. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I like almost want to yell. I'm like, hello. <laughs> Um, Stacy is a fellow member of Eagle Come. Woo! She also dabbles in stand-up comedy, uh, a model and actress, yep. and a civil engineer. Ah, uh, yeah. But I'm focusing more on environmental stuff lately. Okay. Just throwing that out there. Fancy. Um, what else? Did I miss anything? I, I think that's it. Alright, fair enough. <laughs> and yeah. today's guest is Samantha Gauss. What's going on, Samantha? Hey, Tom. Hey, how are you? Good, I'm great today. Samantha, you go by Sam or Samantha? Either or. I, I think I think Sam's probably easier, although I, I'll tell you guys a secret that I actually prefer Samantha and I, I never tell really? anybody. Yeah, I just I let everyone call me Sam. I think Sam is so cute. Oh, thanks. Oh, no, thanks. I like Sam okay, but yeah. Like Sam. Let's go with Sam. I like when girls have guys' names, but there's just like one little trick to that working out. It's like they have to be cute. You can't like have a guy name and then not be cute. So right. you fit into that bracket. Okay. So you're like, <laughs> you well, doing. You can pull it up. You're like, where is she going with this? Oh, I was worried for a second. I was but like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> no, I think that's super cute. Like girls named Tony. I'm like, look at you. You're so cute. Your name's Tony. I, I agree. I also like it when girls wear baseball hats with the ponytail sticker. Are you oh, think that's yeah. cute? That does yeah. it for you, Tom? It does. Wow. It. Yeah. Tom's like, is that a pony I see sticking out of that? Back when I used to drink, I was at a bar, and I was obsessed with tournaments, like brackets. Mm-hmm. So I would just like make random brackets. Um, and have like the bar patrons and bartenders like vote on what they liked just to see one. And one was like types of girls mm-hmm. and girls with ponytails with uh, baseball caps and the was ponytail the sticking out was the one that won. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm, popular. Crazy. I think I learned recently that I like butts on girls. Oh, absolutely. Like I, 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 I might have already known a little bit. But then I was at a Hooters the other day, strangely enough, on a, a date. With a guy? Or it was girl? a first date, and it was kind of a joke. But, like, I ended up at a Hooters and spent most of the time looking at the girls' butts. Yeah. That's kind of what you do when you go to places like that. You really just... It was great. You play the judgment game. I love to do this at strip clubs. No, no judgment. They looked oh. awesome. Well, that's the point. It's like, you're <laughs> like, this girl's the best one. This one's the second one. Like... Not in a bad way, but I always, whenever I go to a strip club, I'm like, okay, she's my favorite. And then she's, I don't know what she's doing Maybe here. I was blinded by the butts. I couldn't differentiate them because I, I don't even think I ever made it to their faces. I feel <laughs> like, I feel chauvinistic here, but like. No, it's, it's true. Just, no one lays a pancake butt. Welcome to the bandwagon. I've been on the butts of bandwagon for years. I feel like a lot of guys are butt yeah. guys. I feel like boobs went out of style. Oh, yeah. Which is bad news. Passe. Terrible news. No, no. No, no. But I will say, I will say having worked on construction sites, I'll tell you that anybody who's 35 plus Thanks. is a boob guy. 
I'm okay. 35 plus. Okay. I don't know. Their boobs are very popular I mean, on job sites. I don't dislike boobs. I'm sure there's a scientific study being done somewhere. I think, I think, I don't know. It's tough. I think, I used to think that guys just fell into the categories of boobs or butt, but I'm always offended when guys are not butt guys. I'm like, excuse me? See, but that's how I feel about guys that are boob guys. guys yeah. I mean, I'm like, what? I go. No. What am I going to do? My mind is blown. Oh, I have to talk now? I'm no, I mean, I'll always talk, but I, I, <laughs> it helps. I go face. I've always been a leg guy, but I, it's a, it's, it all depends on the girl. Each yeah. girl is individual. Tom, are you committed to changing the name of your podcast to, like, Boobs and Butts? To, <laughs> to T-N-A-L day? to be fair, Boobs and Butts Save My Life is a... Also, a fairly accurate title. And I think, I think that's actually I get my podcast listeners. title. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Famous titties. So Sam is a member of Secret Staff. Yeah. She is taking a semester. I don't know what to call it. Off from house teams. Are you yeah, gonna go on back? House teams last last run, and I'll I'll audition again next run. Yeah. Well, good for you for making it once. I've never made it, so kudos you know, to you. You know what my theory about not making it this time is. You didn't make it? I didn't make it. That's crazy. But here's what I'll say. I thought about it all day yesterday, right? Because everybody else who auditioned on Secret Stash got on. And so I had a lot of time to think about it. And the conclusion that I came to, and this is real. This is not some, like, you know, Oprah special. Like, I feel as though if I had gotten on two times in a row right off the bat, that I would never have appreciated it appropriately again like I think from then on whenever I auditioned I would have just assumed that I was going to get on and maybe taken it for granted and now I'm sort of realizing like each each separate run of house teams is its own entity and if you make it then that's amazing and it was so exciting and I had a blast and now I have to like get my head together and work harder to get on yeah. the next time but I won't take it for granted every time I get on now right I just think house teams auditions um are really tough because like mentally you're trying to focus on so many things at one time yeah. like okay I want to be funny I want to be supportive I want to for me I always try to do a character I don't like to just play myself all the time which I find myself doing well that's where I got lost this time was my focus was like I was I went in and I was like I'm gonna do characters and I had characters in mind and I think I think that was a bad strategy for me because the last time I auditioned I went in and I was like I'm gonna focus on relationships today like the characters will come, but today my focus is relationships. And admittedly, the longer you do improv, the better you would probably get at holding all of these pieces yeah. in your mind at the same time. Time. I mean, yeah. that is why you practice. But I think going in with the idea of like, today's about characters, I lost everything else. And I had these big characters, but who cares, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, if I'm not connecting with people, if I'm not in the scene for what the scene becomes, then... You know, it's a lost cause. I, I'm glad we're talking about it. I was I was going to bring this up as a topic anyway, uh, house team auditions, because we both did it, and I think we were both disappointed we didn't get it, but I I had a terrible audition. Um, and it sucks because I feel like I've been doing better, like on Mondays and, and stuff like that. I, I feel like I put in pretty solid performances. And then when it comes time for house team auditions, it's just... I, I'm, if I was watching me from somebody else's body, I'd be like, who is this clown? He graduated the, <laughs> well, I the mean, training center. The, the thing is, so, so Secret Stash, whenever they announce 
house teams when they send out those emails, secret stash were all on like this one message, like text message thread together. So we all find out. I know immediately if I didn't get on because I hear from everyone else that they did get on and it's it's shockingly heart-wrenching, isn't it? It's this it's, it's this moment where you take <laughs> it so personally, but the truth is you have no one to blame but yourself. Right. And and the bigger lesson is like it's okay. It's six weeks and now you've got to work harder. But isn't that isn't that a good thing? Like if you're if you're consistently just getting on house teams, at least for me, I think I could potentially lose sight of the fact that I still have a really, really long way to go. I thought because uh, I go to house teams almost every week, mm-hmm. and I thought your first one was amazing. And I'm not blowing oh. smoke up your ass. Like I, I, I um, there are certain people that when they come out, I'm like, yes, I, 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 this person always delivers the funny, and I'm looking forward to what they do. And I felt that way every time you came out, and I feel you always delivered. Thank so you. it's crazy. It's really nice to hear because I think in your first run of house teams, you feel nothing but out of place, you know, I because thought, I was on such a wildly talented team. I really, I really, I had, I had like some heavy hitters on my team. Um, I was on a team with both Steffi Kay and Amanda Souza, who as female improvisers are just these like incredible powerhouses, which is a lot of pressure. I felt, I felt some pressure there because I'm always so impressed with their character work and the scenes that they create. Um, but I also had Dave Grinstead and Dave Leone, um, Andy Bridges, who's also on Secret Stash. Andy Bridges has gotten so good lately. Amazing. He's been great lately. He I has been to... coming out with these like perfect one-liners lately that have been just mind-blowing for me. He, uh, I asked him if he auditioned for NXT because he's just, he's always been good and I've seen him since back when it was the Y show, he was performing with yeah. Superstash. Um, he was one of the first people I got to know at Improv Sound. And he's always been good, but I would say he's just got leaps and bounds better. I think everyone on Secret Stash would agree that having Ryan McFarlane as a director and rehearsing every single week has really changed all of us. Every one of us can feel the difference. Ryan works us really hard and gives incredible notes. And I, I think... That has been really beneficial because, you know, the, the, the training center is obviously where most of us met here at IA, but you're also, you're always in class with some people that you end up being friends for life with and some people that you like, okay, but you, you know, you do improv with them because you're all paying for the same class at the same yeah. time. I think on Secret Stash, there's this, there's this like bond that we're all in this together and we actively all want to get better and keep performing, and that closeness has made all of us a lot more comfortable on stage. We've been, Eagle Come, we've been sporadically getting directors. I know, I was just gonna say, I really think that we need someone like that. I want, that's, that was, that's what I want, ideally, is to have a weekly director, yeah. especially we're out of class now. Yeah, um, it's helpful. It's, you know, every week, just having that one day where you're working on improv, I mean, because it's like anything, you've gotta just keep doing it, and if you go two or three weeks without getting on stage at all, you'd be amazed how rusty you get. Yeah, absolutely. We had We had Kevin once, uh, which you weren't I there for him. yet. I wanted to, though. Stacy kind of officially joined recently. Yeah. Um, 
So we had Kevin once, and we had Tim Johnson once. Oh, awesome. and Tim was great. Tim was great. Kevin was great, too. He moved, so he was no longer available. But, um, I thought Tim was great, and just having, um, being able to just ask questions yeah. uh, freely is in class you might, that you might be hesitant to ask just because you don't want to hold up class. Or, yeah, you know. I also think we having a director with the same goal in mind, you know, we, we've been putting together like actual sketch shows and we all want it to be really good he he's able to be harder on us which is what we need I you know I don't I didn't pay to go through and have somebody be like you're great at improv you're awesome like right. this is this is absolutely what you should be doing and I think sometimes you get a little of that that like coddling mm -hmm. at the training center yeah. whereas having Ryan as a as a separate, you know, independent director. And he's so funny because he'll always be like, all right, Sam, like, I don't know about your choice in that scene. I'm really sorry. I don't mean to be so hard on you. Like, yeah, every time I, even when you were saying that. critiques me, he'll apologize. <laughs> and then afterwards, I'm always like, Ryan, I want, like, I need this criticism and it never hurts my feelings. But he's so funny because he he'll, he'll stop rehearsal three or four times and be like, all right, here's the issue. Um, that scene was, you know, not great, not not, not great. And he's saying, he's saying it in the most diplomatic way possible, and then he's already apologizing. Mm. And we're like, we're not even mad. <laughs> I was wondering, because he's such a nice guy. Oh, he is, yeah. Um, Eddie McCabe. What's going on, Ed? Hey, guys. Hey, Ed. What's going on? Not much. Uh, Just guess. casting a pod. Yeah. Podcasting. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> Ed is uh, just got made house teams. Yeah, yeah, first time. First time, Ed. Um, it's going to be a fun seven weeks. Uh, house teams run is seven weeks this uh, this time. What? Yeah, and it's going to be fun because there is a uh, there's a thing that whenever I perform an improv asylum, <laughs> a celebrity dies. Yeah. And so I'm performing twice next week, and then the following six weeks. So get your death pools ready. Yeah, Ed. it's gonna be bad. Ed, Ed is this the way this started is that our first show is Secret Stash. Um, right before we went on stage, we found out that Philip Seymour Hoffman died. Aww. Like minutes before we went on stage, and I remember Steffi sitting in the green room, like near tears. We were all so upset, and then um, our more recent show, minutes before we went on stage, we found out Robin Williams died. That was so awful. And someone on our team was like. Should we should we tell the audience? And and Ryan was just like, no, like don't bring it up. It's so sad. It's this like heartbreaking thing. But Ed Ed is the common denominator in all of this. Yeah, the harbinger of that. yeah. Because uh, during our grad show, uh, the voice of Saturday Night Live died. Yeah. yeah. So it, we found out that it isn't secret stash. That it's just me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you know who didn't make house teams? Ed mm. Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it you that, uh, Sam, sent me that picture? No. Oh, Jeff sent me a picture. I'm not a jerk. Jeff is a jerk. Uh, Jeff sent me a picture of Haley Joel Osment and what he looks like now. Who and is that? I don't even know who that is. He's a kid from The Sixth Sense who beat out Ed, Ed for the Ed part in The Sixth Sense. Ed was the second choice for the no, kid in The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah, that's a true Is story. that a real thing? You should listen yeah. to last week's episode. Yes. Of, Good uh, episode. You know, Improv <laughs> Saved My Life. And uh, you can hear me talk about it. Yeah. Wow, good. that's crazy. Yeah. What was the casting um, company that did that movie? Um, well, CP did 
the local. CP casting did that? Yeah, they didn't do the movie, but it was like a nationwide search. Interesting. And yeah. That's wow. fun. It's fancy. I tried a bit. Alright, well, I gotta go do wow. improv things. I'm gonna miss All you right. so much. Have fun, well, congratulations. See ya, Ed. Podcast, guys. Bye, Ed. So, Sam, you are also, you also did stand-up? I did, I did stand-up um, full, full-time. Wow. For a while. I was cool. doing open mics, like, six nights a week, performing every week. I, um, a couple times did, like, these... Me and a bunch of other stand-up comedians would drive down to New York and do like four open mics in one night, which is this you're all about crazy. It. It's if you've never done it and you're doing stand-up comedy, I recommend doing it once because it's the worst experience you'll ever have, and also <laughs> you'll leave it with like a new appreciation for how hard you have to work and and your joke, whatever one joke you choose to tell at four stages in New York City for one night, you will know what doesn't work. In that joke at the wow. end of that night, That's it was crazy. like this. It was like this self-made workshop that we did. That um, sounds really fun. What night of the week would you guys do? Monday, that? I think on a Monday night, if you time it just right and you get a really aggressive driver who knows where to park in New York City, uh, you can hit four open mics. I want to do night. that. So you guys have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. No, Stacy and I have been on similar paths. Ah, uh, yeah. Except for that, I totally stopped doing stand up. I just like was like. And break. Yeah, I haven't done stand up since. I haven't written anything. I'm just like not feeling inspired to write anything. And like sometimes I do have these like thoughts that I think are hilarious about how messed up I am. And I'm like, this is a funny joke. So I'm like, I think think, uh, the, the more honest and true and uncomfortable sometimes you might think it is, is the better it's gonna get over. Yeah. Yeah. I think stand up was the venue of comedy that came the most naturally to me. I think it's it's where I discovered that it was something I really wanted to do, but I just could never wrap my head around the culture of mm-hmm. stand-up comedy, and I was continually feeling very discouraged. Like, maybe comedy wasn't the right path for me because there was just so much negativity and um, so much competitiveness in a way that was... Completely the opposite of improv. Right, but that's the thing is I found improv and I started doing improv and everyone in stand-up at the time told me, you don't need to take improv classes. Anyone who does improv is, is you know, dumb and that kind of comedy is not real comedy and there's like, there's a real divide, although I think that divide only exists on the stand-up comedian's end. Um, and I said, you know, I, I want to do this anyway. It's something I've always wanted to do and... So let's go back. Um, just like take us through your journey of how you got into basically where you grew up and then what led to the path of comedy and eventually improv. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and I was always in theater. Um, my grandmother was a stage manager at a, at a theater company, and my mother did acting at, in community theater. And that's cool. So I was, I have like a lot of fond memories of like running around backstage and I was like in the sound of music when I was six years old or like cute little goiters and, um, and I just, I loved performing and I loved seeing my mom like all dolled up in makeup. And so I, I was always a performer and I think in my family, my, 
my mother always said, you should be a comedian, but I don't think I ever took it seriously as a career path. I don't think I knew that it was a, a real career path at the time. And I was working as an intern for um, a publishing company. And I ended up finding, through one of the articles I was writing, I found this stand-up comedy class in Rhode Island. And I took it. And the teachers that I had at the time sort of said to me, this is something that you should keep doing. You should you should be going to open mics. You So when you took it initially, you were like, eh, maybe I'll take it, maybe I'll take it, maybe I'll leave it or in I took the class for fun because I had been writing comedy already. I, I have a blog that I've been writing for years now called learningtobefunny.com. And so I felt like that might translate well to you know, you take comedy writing and the fact that I was already a performer and comfortable on stage and put them together, a lot of the hurdles that I think new stand-up comics have to jump over were things that I I wasn't experiencing in that same way. It felt, it felt easy and it felt natural um, right off the bat. And I got a, a large push ahead for being a female. I think there's a lot of downfalls to being a female in stand-up comedy. There's also a lot of perks, which is that at an open mic when there's 20 guys there and you're the only girl, no matter how good or bad you are, you stand out. They're going to remember you. Yeah, people yeah. notice you. And a lot of the bookings I that, that I well. got were, I need a girl on this show, so can you do the booking? And I, I always said, I got most of my bookings for being a girl. I got most of my rebookings for being good. That's but awesome. I think having the benefit of those initial bookings coming from, oh, we need a girl on this on this show, gave me opportunities I wouldn't have otherwise had. If you had to put a number to how many times you've been on stage doing stand up, just approximately how many? Oh, hundreds. Really? Oh, it's. A, I mean, well, I. I mean, I went all over. I ended up doing Foxwoods and um, Twin River Casino, and I did. Did you of, open for somebody big? I did. <laughs> yeah, I've opened for several relatively big people. Although the thing they don't tell you about hosting shows is that usually the host of a show is a co- like an in-house comic. Right. So if you get in somewhere where you're proving your comedy consistently to, to club owners, um, you can open for a lot of really impressive people. It doesn't mean you're like touring with them. It just means that you... You know, you get to open that show. Who did you them. open for? Uh, Tracy Morgan. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Like, and the, the sad thing about that is, like, it's all downhill <clears throat> from there, right? <laughs> what else can you do beyond that? I don't think that Tracy Morgan was... I think he's a fantastic comic. I don't think he's a great stand-up comedian. I personally oh, he's great. And I will say about him, you know, you meet a lot of these comics doing comedy. And I will say about him that he's he's one of those guys who will sit down with you after the show and really talk to you about comedy because he remembers what it's like to be going to open mics five or six nights a week and telling bad jokes to dive bars, <laughs> you know? And, and I just, he, he's a humble guy. And, and I met a lot, I, I would say a lot of the stand-up comedians who are doing really, really well have that great attitude. Well, yeah, because everyone struggles with it. No one's just like does one open mic and like, yeah, you know what? Here's your sh- here's your own show. Enjoy, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
So um, I, I think a lot of people have to go through that and they can yeah. appreciate it. But I think I was getting very soured on the competitiveness. On you know, I would get a booking because I had a great show, and I would hear from ten other comics. Well, why did you get that booking? And you, you constantly had to justify. They're what actually you were doing. asking you that. Oh, comics say that to each other. How did you get that booking? Why did why was that you? That should have been me. They'll say it right to you, because it turns into this this mad scramble for the bookings that are out there, and that never resonated with me. I, I started to become very depressed and very sour on comedy. And at the it's... time, I was um, spending a fair amount of time with my mother, who was sick. And she was always my biggest, biggest supporter, you know. And she said to me, if you, if you leave it, I will understand. And that was this big moment for me because I know how much she had wanted that for me. Was that your full-time gig at the time? Yeah, that's what I was doing full-time. Um, I was I was out every single night, so, either at an open mic or a booking. Wow, that's really good, though. It was a great experience. I, I learned more than anything a lot about what it is to really push for something, and I saw success. Like, I worked hard and saw success and learned that if you can put on blinders... To, to everybody else around you who doesn't think that you should be doing well, you can make it um, in your own right, you know, find success yeah. in your own right by working really, really hard. But when I found improv, the people and the attitude made a lot more sense to me immediately. So. I would love to hear your stand-up. Like, obviously, like, <laughs> it's so weird to be like, do some on the spot, but if you have anything, like, pre-recorded, I think that'd be so fun to watch. The story I always tell people when anyone asks me, like, oh, tell me a joke. Because you can't really, I, yeah, you, can't you can't really tell a joke on the spot, but I can tell a story about, about one of my jokes. It was um, a night that I had a show at Twin River. Um, I was <laughs> yes. opening for Wild Bill, who's this great Rhode Island comedian. Um, and I had a set all planned out and I got on stage and I had a yeast infection like so bad that day oh my God. that I could literally think about nothing else. So I just, <laughs> just, I had to, I had to scratch on stage and it was this moment where I was like, but what am I on stage for? Like I'm on stage to do comedy and I just ended up doing 20 minutes about how itchy I was, like about how girls go through this all the time and like the things that we try to do to to cure it. Like I, I went through so that's like what I'm talking home about. remedies that I found and like what I ended up doing to myself trying to cure it. And I will tell you that I had men approach me after the set saying like, that was so funny. That's what that's I was saying. That's hilarious. With, I don't if, know if, if you I have balls to do that. If you go with the personal stuff that you're not sure if you should say, I think a lot of times it's going to it's gonna work. And yeah. for me, that was always probably why I felt so comfortable in stand-up because I've always been the person who just says stuff, yeah. no matter how uncomfortable Definitely. it makes anybody. And the thing is, is I, I did end up turning that whole yeast infection thing into a bit that I recreated several times, but it was never as good as the day that I actually, that actually had, had one and it because it was real because I was so mad about it and because it was so intensely what was going on in my head that that it came out in a way that 
women could relate to and men could sympathize with. Yeah, so for all of our younger women listeners, yeast infections, that's the way to go. <laughs> oh my God. When you, even when you just said yeast infections, I was just like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> it seems it makes, the, the, the term even makes people uncomfortable. Wicked uncomfortable. But isn't that where, isn't that where comedy starts so much of the time? It's like, I made the audience really uncomfortable, but then I brought them on the ride with me. Right. You know, it's like, I say it, they're uncomfortable, but then all of a sudden I'm... I'm putting myself on the spot and putting myself in an embarrassing and vulnerable position that makes it easier for them to listen to me because most of they're like, oh God, this poor girl. Mm -hmm. Like, this is really what she's dealing with right now. And I'm embarrassed for her that she's telling me this, but also like, how terrible. <laughs> and then it becomes funny because you're so uncomfortable. You're like, and on that note. <laughs> so I have... No bread for me tonight. <laughs> yes. No? So I had a pretty funny story involving Tracy Morgan and a female stand-up. Oh my god. <laughs> so this met, story pisses me off. So this, I met this uh, stand-up at an open mic. I thought she was cute. So. Wait, let me just preface the story real quick with okay. she had an amazing set at yeah, the hideout. She's funny. Oh, nice. And she was super funny, but she was just like... I know that, like, when you're doing a set, you're doing a bit. Like, you know, sometimes people ha have characters for their stand-up. But her bit was just so, like, I don't know. It was, like, borderline <laughs> degrading to men, which, honestly, I think is fine. But then Tom's like, I'm going to ask this girl on a date. I'm like, really? From that set? You're like, wow, let me ask this. Can I say most of the dates that I got asked on were after sets where I either made myself sound absolutely, like, undateably disgusting or the, oh, the ones that where, I was made, this girl. where I made men sound like total morons. And guys would always ask me She out. told a joke about someone not remembering her name after they hooked up with her. And she gave him amazing head. And she's like, never forget my name. And I was just like, wow, that's really funny. Tom, this is the person. Anyway. Well, but I can understand getting asked on a date for that. But I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying I, would, I would speak ill of certain men. And then afterwards get asked on dates. And the sets where I spoke well about men. Never got asked on a date, ever, not once. Well, no, Tom, go ahead, tell the story, because I was just like, oh, this girl just seems like such a bitch, but go ahead. So, uh, I got her number, and I was trying to figure out, like, what's, she's in, she's a stand-up, and uh, what would she be into? So I looked for, like, cool stand-ups that were going to be around, and yeah. Tracy Morgan was playing that weekend at, uh, this was before his accident, obviously. Um, and... Go out, see Tracy Morgan, had what I thought was a good time, then we went out to eat afterwards. When we went out to eat, she mentioned she did a dating blog. So I'm like, huh, it's interesting. Uh, so when I got home, I went Googled the dating blog. Yeah, <laughs> so which I couldn't find. All I could, when I typed in what she described, it, I, all it came up was with her Twitter feed. And she live tweeted the whole date. She like shitted all over me the whole time. Oh my god! <laughs> no. You know, the, here's the thing: is I, in my experience with dating, I was so pissed. Can I? I, was I so just say that, that as a female comedian, dating is the hardest. It's thing. the worst thing in the world. Because it is the worst. here's why: because because if something really funny does happen, I've actually never really been comfortable enough being the person who like live tweets it. Or post it on Facebook because at the end of the day, I'm still my own person. And that's hurtful, though. With that's a personal really... life that I'm trying to maintain, and I and yes, I don't want to be that girl that puts guys on blast. And you know what? If you want to live tweet a date, have a fake Instagram name and don't and like 
don't tell the guy about it. Yeah, yeah no, I think the whole thing, like, <laughs> the whole thing is, it, there's, there's a mean-spiritedness about it that I've never been privy to. I don't, I, I have never enjoyed comedy at the sake of others. Um, and that, yeah. that comes strongly from my mother. I think my mother always really instilled in me, like, if, if a joke is funny because it is at the expense of someone else, you don't tell that joke. And that, that has always been very important to me. So I've never been one to, to do that. But I think the big problem is you go on a date and you tell the guy that you're a comedian and immediately his first response is either that he wants to hear a joke, which gentlemen who are listening, please do not ask for me to tell you a joke on the spot. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I'm, I am not so funny. Do you expect to get asked out a lot after this podcast? It's a lot of pressure because it's like they're asking for you to prove that you can do it. It, It's like if I'm on a date with a doctor and I'm like, all right, could you perform an open heart surgery? Like prove to me that you are a competent doctor right here in this Italian restaurant. Go. The other thing that happens is that I think for a lot of guys being the funny guy is their thing. Right. That is that is a large part of their identity, and I I have experienced a lot of guys who feel very threatened right off the bat when I, they say I'm a comedian, and I can feel them spending the entire evening doing bits and trying to be funny, and I always want to just be like, no, no, just be yourself. Like I I want to get to know you, not this like frantic funny guy who is trying to prove to me that he is funny enough. But it, it ends up kind of ruining the day. Right. I can see that. I, I feel like people, once they find out you're, in the com- you're a comedian or you're, you do improv, they always put you on the spot. They're like, do something funny. You're like, what? Oh, God. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a, work. I'm a, bar- <laughs> yeah, I'm a bartender. And so I talk to tons of people a night. And that is the, the number one most requested thing is, tell me a joke. And most of the time, I, I find a way out of it because I refuse because it's not going to be good on the spot without a microphone without a, lights and a crowd and me feeling prepared for it and then it just gives people a reason to be like no oh, she's not really a comedian and it it really discredits whether or not I was ever good it discredits how hard it's all about context I with, worked. with comedy too always yeah um so how did you transition from Stand up to improv. Um, I was doing improv classes while I was still doing stand up full time. A lot of times I would like leave here after class and go straight to an open mic. And I was doing both, but I just started to fall really in love with the people in the improv community. You know, this, this idea of saying yes and is obviously, you know, rule number one in improv, but I think in life, if you if you can yes and, that really resonated with me. I know we had talked about this earlier, but I had Hodgkin's lymphoma um, five years ago now, and I was very, very sick for about a year and a half. I was basically bedridden, and then... Where does this fall in the chronology of... So that was before I did any type of comedy. I started writing while I was sick, um, but not a ton of it was funny at that point. I, um, I spent, I spent a, at least a good full year in my early 20s just 
in hospitals and beds. Oh, that's awful. Um, how do they how do they treat that? I had chemo and radiation, the full full uh, bouts of chemo and radiation. What um, was your prog? Is that the right word? Prognosis when you originally were diagnosed? Yeah, I had I had stage two. I had a like a grapefruit sized tumor behind my chest oh my plate, God. and I had been trying to get a diagnosis for a really long time. I knew something was wrong. I'd seen a lot of doctors, and when they told me, um, my doctor sat me down, and he, I was confused when they give you the, the diagnosis because mm-hmm. I don't I think someone can say right to your face that you have cancer and you can't possibly hear that right. and I was 22 at the time so there was no way that I could hear that it, it it felt like I had suddenly been like thrust out of my own life and he sat me down and he said look this is one of those rare cancers that is curable and not just treatable that's what I, um, John Lester had right yeah yeah, and they, they, he reminded me of that consistently. He said, try to remember that this is curable. We are Also, Charlie on Party of Five, if that helps. There's um, actually Dumbledore. Yes, Dumbledore from the original Harry Potter movies passed away from Hodgkin's lymphoma. You would have thought he My would have been able to do something I, about that. I have to say that finding out that Dumbledore died from it made my entire journey much scarier because I was like, if he can't, I can't. There's no spell um, for that? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> There, I mean, there might be a spell now. They were not as progressive with spells back then, I'm sure. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that, first of all, when I tell people I have cancer, it's this, like, instant mood killer, right? It's this thing that, that is very much a part of who I am and why I am here. But I find it hard to talk about with people because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. And the interesting thing is, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I was, this kind of led you into the path you're on now. Right. I, I, I feel the same way about my past. It is just, I did so much. I'm 35. And I, to, to get where I am now, which is not like overly impressive, but if you saw me three years ago, you, uh, I was a mess, just, uh, just a wreck of a human being. And, you know, it took me a long time to get on the path I'm on now, but it is kind of a blessing that at least I got on that path and it's, yeah. it, I had to go through what I went through to get there, but you know, it, sometimes it takes that type of stuff to, to make you appreciate everything. For sure. And I think the, the thing about cancer specifically is it's something that happens to you in spite of any choices you may have right. made in life. So people are very, very, loving, supportive, positive. I had... It's probably the worst thing you could say to somebody, like tell somebody. I mean, I had... Most of my friends just didn't know how to respond. I would say I lost a few friends who just had no idea how to visit me or what to say. I mean, to watch me losing my hair or to come over and I... Did you lose all your hair? um, I lost most of my... I cut my hair. I chop my hair off. Did you do wigs or anything? I did. I had some wigs and I just, there's just hair everywhere. Oh, that's so scary. Um, But it, it really shows you the people that care. I had people who I wasn't really sure if they were close friends or just acquaintances who were very there. Um, Actually, uh, Mish Whitaker, who used to be on the main stage at Improv Asylum and is now, does a lot of stuff at Improv Boston. I knew her in college, 
because um, she was part of Mission Improbable and I hung out with that crowd at UMass Amherst. And she and I were never close enough friends that I would have expected to hear from her. It was the kind of thing where we hung out in the same group, but we hadn't seen each other in years. And, you know, I didn't have her number or anything, but she sent me a Facebook message saying, I heard what happened and I'm thinking about you and praying for you and if you need anything. And it was one of the messages that I remember because it was very life-changing for me to hear from this person, this positive person, um, and it is not a coincidence that she not only does improv, but is wildly talented at improv. This, this positivity, this supportiveness that exists within the improv world that I don't think you see everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I learned that the things you think that matter don't matter. <laughs> None of that matters. What matters is figuring out who you want to be surrounded by, making sure you're surrounded by those people. And in my day-to-day -day life now, being surrounded by everybody in this community at Improv Asylum and just Secret Stash and all of the Boston Improv community is, that's very important to me. And it's because the energy that comes off of these people is sort of this magical, thing that I have a very deep appreciation for. I do as well. I'm sure Stacey does too. No, I absolutely do. Um, I think when you go through something like that, like like you said, like a lot of times you feel like an appreciation for life. Yeah. And you're like almost celebrating like every day that you're alive because you're like, oh my God, you never, you never really thought you like how much you appreciate it, you always took it for granted. And you're like, oh, how do you, you want to spend your time? And I think like, you know, for me, like what's most important to me is like my friends and my family. Yeah. Like, there's really nothing else. It's like money, like whatever, comes and goes, jobs, like you get them, you lose them, it's whatever. But if you have something in your life that like consistently makes you happy and laugh and, you know, just lifts your mood, like then you're good. You know what I mean? Well, like, and also this idea of saying yes to things which is the common link from when I was sick to improv, which is when you're sick, you have to say no to everything. Can you come out? No. Can you eat this? No. Do you feel okay? No. It's like everything is no. Everything you want to be doing at 22, everything that you see your friends doing is a no. It's not even an option for you anymore. So you come out of it really, really ready to start saying yes. And I think in life, if you say yes to everything. It's like that movie, Yes Man. I actually I referenced that movie the other day. Because, of course, there are, there are moments when you need to say no to certain things. I, I have bumped into this. I tend to be very busy and overbooked. And I drive all over the place and my schedule's crazy. But I'm also, I'm the kind of exhausted where I'm really, really happy all the time. Yeah. I'm exhausted when I get home every night. But I think to myself, like, <sighs> but I'm doing it. Like, I'm living the exact life that I want to be living, and I'm surrounded by the exact type of people I always wanted to meet. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel very, very lucky. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so what's your situation now in terms of health? Um, I am, as of this past year, this past year marks five years out, which means I'm cured, 
instead of being in remission. That's awesome. So that was like a really big Congrats. thing for me. I think I, I didn't realize quite how much I would feel. Because you feel the same once you once you get past like two years out, you just feel healthy again. Um, so the word words remission and, and cured are words, but uh, I think when it happened, it did it meant more than I expected it to. Um, and I'm in I'm in great health now. I um, were you in college at the time when this happened? I, it was my senior, it was the end of my senior year of college is when I was really, really sick. Mm -hmm. um, I got diagnosed like the summer after my senior year. Uh, and I had to move home. I, you know, I had a job lined up and everything. I had to move straight home and that's, go through that. Yeah, that's like, that's terrible. Not that there's ever a good time, but that's just... It, you know, like I said, I do, I feel as though I have, I have sort of lost a good year or two of my early 20s, but I also will say that that quality time that I spent, particularly with my mother, um, was really invaluable. And you would I would never remember them anyway if you just lived out of your 20s. It's true. And I, and I certainly would not have been the type of girl who came home and hung around her mom all the time. But admittedly, the reason that I am funny, the reason that I am positive, the reason that I am all the things that you sort of need to be to do comedy is because of my mother. And so getting to spend that kind of intense time with her really just further ingrained all the things that she and I had in common. I think that's really sweet. I think it's awesome to have parents who are supportive of the arts. I think that's so rare. My, well, yeah, my mother um, was always, always this idealist who said, you have to be doing what makes you happy. She was someone who worked, she had a, um, a high paying job for Procter & Gamble. She was making six figures a year um, in Cincinnati and Chicago. And she quit in her mid forties to go back to school and get her dissertation and become an English teacher, making almost no money. You know, I remember growing up when she was writing her dissertation, she like worked part-time at a bookstore and I, you That's know, awesome. wore the same pair of pants to middle school, like <laughs> My mom two weeks in a row and got made fun of. But I, I look back on it now and I, I really value this idea of you don't have to be making money. You yeah. have to be happy. Yeah. My mom did the same thing. She went back to school in her forties. Um, she works for City Hall as a, advocate for the elderly and that was really her passion was advocating for people mm. and she's making less or I don't know I, I maybe around the same now that she was she was a dental assistant before yeah um, and she just did it because she wanted to do something that she was passionate about not just doing a job to get a paycheck to move on to the next day and repeat that cycle yeah no I, I, I think being happy with your work and what you're doing if you can find a way to do something that makes you happy and you love and the bills are getting just paid, yeah, then that's really ideal. Um, so where you are now in your comedy career, you could say improv career, or do you consider yourself done with stand-up? or? Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about my mom. My mother passed away last October, oh, and I will say I have not gotten on stage since then and I you know I have a lot of friends who talk to me about it and say like oh it's this thing you like have to do and you've got to you know you'll feel so great and she would want you to and I I sort of know all of that's true but a lot of it was for her 
Right. And so I have not really been able to bring myself to do any kind of stand-up since then. I had I had kind of a nasty falling out with some of the Rhode Island comedians. Um, admittedly, you know, I'll say this on a podcast, we're basically sleeping with the wrong person. Um, and Dane Cook. I did, yes, <laughs> slept with Dane Cook and I could never go back. <laughs> he strikes me as having a very small penis. <laughs> I don't know why. Every time I look at him, I'm just like, mm, I don't know. But, I, you know, I, I think uh, more than that, I, I, I just, I felt like I had more of a family in improv and everything having to do with stand-up became a little bit painful. Between, between, you know, feeling like I made one mistake and it was held against me in sort of a grand fashion and also not having my mom to call afterwards because right. admittedly everybody else only sort of cares about my comedy career and that's normal. It is super boring. To listen to somebody talk about the five open mics they went to, yeah, or, or the joke that they're honing. I mean, it's not interesting stuff. Even people that run into improv, when I try to explain it to them, they might care a little because they see I'm so into it, but they really don't care. Yeah, you need someone like a significant other, or a mom, or a best friend who isn't isn't just pretending to care, but they care because you do. And it... Or they can relate to it. I think it's yeah. really hard for people to... Even, like, even sometimes at improv shows, if they're really funny, if people don't understand the games that are being played and how yes. hard it is, they don't... They can't appreciate the comedy. Like, I brought one of my best friends to the show, and she didn't laugh half as much as I did. And I was just like, no, you don't get it. That was extremely funny and hard to do. Like, Yeah, I think know? it's probably why everybody in comedy hangs out yeah. with other people in comedy. I think, you know, we, we all gravitate towards each other because it is this singular world that is so far removed yeah. from reality in a way. Yeah. Um, nobody else is doing stuff like this. Have you ever done um, Dick Doherty's? No. Yeah, if you want to try that out, it's free. You just have to bring two people. I mean, Tom will come with you if whenever you're ready. Yeah, I mean, I think I I know where to go. The hideout's really to good do too for stand up. Actually, you know, I did the Just Suspect show recently, and they asked me if I would do some stand up. And I I don't always go really that deeply into why I don't because mm -hmm. it's this like. Completely did you not do it? I did the show. I didn't do stand-up. Stand yeah. We opened, when I hosted Just Last Spice, we opened with me doing stand-up, but it was like, we were, were making a joke out of the whole thing. Um, I did I did stand-up in the sense that, like, I I did, like, a character who was a stand-up comedian, mm -hmm. but I didn't actually do any of my routine for that show. How long is your set when you do the <clears> set for stand-up? I can, I can do a very good, a, a structured, solid I want to say 14 minutes. That's I probably good. have an hour's worth of material, but if, if I was getting booked for something and somebody asked me what I had very solidly, it would be 14, 14 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Which can be an eternity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 I tend to be the type of comedian who tells stories. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's like, there's like Mitch Hedberg, right? Who does like punchline, 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 punchline. And then there are the storytellers, and I am admittedly a storyteller. So 14 minutes for me is not a ton of time. I think the hardest thing I ever did was you get two minutes at the pit, 
in uh, New York City mm -hmm. for their open mic. And two minutes of comedy <coughs> is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. That was brutal. Because nobody gets to know you in that time. The joke has to stand on its own. And very rarely do jokes stand. Entirely. I like the two minute idea. <laughs> well, if you're a punch, if you're a if you're a stand up comedian who does punchlines, yeah, then two minutes is great. You can you can pack a lot in. Um, so where you are in your improv career? Yeah. How do you feel, and where do you want to take it? Um, I feel great. I love I love Secret Stash kind of like family. They are such a great group, and. We all work really hard, and I feel like we each bring something very different to the table in a way that continues to propel us forward. Like we, we never, we never go a week where we're not rehearsing or planning something or trying to get shows. I like everybody in that group. That, Thank they're you. all they're all good people. Yeah, first I, of all, which I is a great quality. I feel incredibly lucky that this is a group that even will have me around this much because I just, every time I'm with them, I have moments where I have to stop and just look at the amount of talent and, and kind-heartedness that is in that group. And um, so moving forward, we have um, a show on November 3rd at Improv Asylum. We're putting together another all-sketch show nice. um, on Monday, November 3rd. And our last one was really really great we were very proud of it so i think that the one on november 3rd should be even better and is that the booby trap yeah the booby trap show nice and um we're doing the duel at improv asylum coming up i'll audition for house teams this, again this monday right? yeah this monday we're in the duel at improv asylum and then I'll, I'll audition for house teams again and i will continue to audition for house teams until i you know get it and then audition again after that and maybe not get it and audition again um but we'll moving, be right there with you <laughs> yeah but moving forward i i would just want to keep going i want to sort of seize every opportunity to get on stage that i can and see where it takes me um you know keep writing keep performing and see where it goes because i don't think that it could end poorly i, I sort of I'm optimistic that if I just keep pushing, I don't have to know what the end is yet. Absolutely. But if I'm happy in the process, which I really, really am, I could do that indefinitely. Absolutely. Life's a journey, not a destination. Live the dash. <laughs> Guys, this is like Oprah. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> We're hugging. Let's, let's get into a little made up movie game. Oh yeah, you want me to do that thing on my phone? Yes, please. I ah. love a shuffled song. Or you can just hit next if it's on random. Let's see. I'll do. Uh, I still don't know how to use my phone. Shuffle. Um, it's Pussycat Dolls featuring um, Snoop Dogg Buttons. <sighs> so the name is. Oh, yeah. Buttons. Yes. Of course. So you've heard before, right? I have, yes. So just uh, if you give us like a brief plot synopsis of, of this the movie Buttons. buttons. Like if you're watching a movie on Comcast, you hit the info button. That will improvise a scene or two out of that movie. Um, okay, let me think. Buttons is the tale of um, a talking cat who just lost his job at a potato factory, and he is 
searching for his purpose amongst a community of hamsters. Fair enough. He's Could searching be. for his what? His, his purpose. He, you know, because he doesn't have his job at the potato factory anymore. Okay. So he has to figure out what it is he's going to do with his life. And he, he happens to live in a house with many hamsters. Communal, Talking hamsters. Communal hamster house. Got it. Yes. That's just what goes through my mind when I hear buttons. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Naturally. I mean, obviously all of our listeners had the same thought. Yeah. So I hate to be so unoriginal. <sighs> Are we going to character ourselves? Are we going to character well, does, any, or? does anyone else have an idea for buttons or are we definitely No, no, no. We go, we're That's doing... Buttons. We're, oh. No, this is the story of we'll buttons. Just, I'll just start it off. Without character? Last time we did a thing where we folded... The, yeah, we're not, we we're not do doing that. Anymore. Okay. All right, so... Hey, Mitzi. Mitzi. You see buttons? He just came back. He looks a little down. Don't say anything, but I... I think he just lost his job and he's still not aware he's a cat. Hey guys. Oh, here we go. Uh, oh Jesus. Hey guys. Uh, so negative. How you? How so you doing over nice. here? It's, it's, uh, it's just, We're good, buttons. Just don't buttons. mind me. I'm just gonna just gonna head over the wheel for a little no, bit. No, I was just gonna. That's ask that's you. a hamster wheel, buttons. Don't get in I the wheel. I just like to push it around. I just I just like to bat at it. I'm just trying to get my mind. My mind off some stuff. You got your head stuck in it last time when I really needed a workout. I have a shoot on Wednesday and I look like a fat ass. Oh, Mitzi, it took us two hours to pull our head out of there. No, I, I just, I had a rough day, guys. I, turns, you know what? Out, turns out they don't need me at the potato factory anymore. I, I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't useful and, and I, I, You lost your job. Yeah. Owner's not going to be happy about that. No, no, I, you know. Just trying to bring home the home fries, but uh... Buttons, you're not hungry, are you? Because hamsters don't taste good. We taste terrible. What are you guys talking Stop about? Stop eyeing us. Where you guys? I don't want to wear this barbecue know. sauce. When you, when you were bringing home the bacon, it was one story, but now the bacon, there's no bacon. potato chips. Yeah. Those are the best. No bacon potato chips anymore. We were hoping for the new cappuccino lace. Guys, the, those are, those taste absolutely That's terrible. the reach. That's, That's the, the reach. attitude that gets you fired from the potato factory. Buttons. No, what gets you fired from the potato factory is batting potatoes around the floor. Is there an opening at the potato factory? Somebody's got to bring home the bacon flavored potato chips in this pet family. I mean, obviously, if they fired me, they're gonna have to replace me with somebody. But so I just you don't have... see who could who could possibly fill my void. Two hamsters? I think two hamsters could do it. But why did you get fired? You I told you I playing was playing hockey. I was pushing potatoes around the floor. You don't understand. When it falls to the floor, that that motion, that that moment when it's moving, I it can't comes focus alive. on anything else. And then all of a sudden, it's like the potato is there and it's 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 alive. And I I don't know why, but I have to kill it. I just I have to. I have to sink my claws into it, and then the second I touch it, it's it's got all this energy, and then it's zooming across the floor, and I can't see anything else. I become consumed with this rolling potato that just goes on and on and on, and the linoleum just propels it forward, and I I get very stressed. I'm scared. I'm so scared. Cut to the potato factory. <laughs> hey, Billy. Did you finally get rid of that stray cat that's been hanging out here? 
Yeah, it was time. I mean, it was cute for a while watching him push potatoes around, but messing with the product and really just getting in the way. We got a $50,000 fine from the FDA. Yeah, plus Jerry's been allergic this whole time, which was funny at first, but now that he doesn't have an EpiPen anymore, I think it's mostly just dangerous. That wasn't funny. Come on, Jerry. It was a little funny. No, it wasn't funny, okay? You guys know I had an allergy. You hired the cat anyway just to spite me. Well, he's gone now. We shoot him off. I kind of miss having, like, a, a pet around here, though. This is a lonely potato factory, I can tell you that much. I don't, I don't, just with you three, you two. If you're, uh, if you're looking for something, though, I, there was a, a strange hamster smothered in barbecue sauce that came through here. If Hamster in barbecue sauce, you say? I don't have any allergies to hamsters, so that would fly with me. I don't think one hamster could entertain us the way that cat did. I mean, but I at least want to get to the bottom of why he's covered in barbecue sauce. Have you ever seen a wet hamster? It's like they're so cute and vulnerable. Jerry, enough. If they're wet with water, maybe, Jerry, but barbecue sauce, I think it's just get gross and get caked on. I just think it's adorable. I'm going to go pick some up, I think, for the office. Where did the hamster get barbecue sauce? From the barbecue chip aisle. You guys retarded. We work here. It's a factory. We have a cappuccino machine, too. Hello. <laughs> there has been a raccoon in the alley, too. I don't know. Kind of cute. Yeah, nothing will ever be Opposable that. thumbs could that come cat, in handy. Though, cat was entertaining as hell. He'll never be a Buttons. Is that it, the cat's name? Buttons. Yeah. I think we should get Buttons back here. Should we beg for his forgiveness? Yeah. I'll shave, Jerry. Him. I'll shave him down. I miss that little face. <laughs> if you're okay with it, I mean, hey. Maybe I'll get my wife to wax him. Apparently, that works. I'm only... Come in! Hey, this might be a weird question. Do you own a cat and two hamsters, by any chance? Oh, uh, yes. Actually, I, I, I do. <sighs> All right. Have you, have you seen a hamster recently? I lost one of them. Was he covered in barbecue sauce? Funny you should say that he was. We want to know why, first of all. What happened to this hamster? Um, I, I accidentally Doused spilled him. some barbecue sauce. Were you going to eat the hamster? Oh, God. Oh, God, no. What do you think I uh, where, where are they? We're coming up those stairs. Cats, hamsters... Come with us. I've got my EpiPen. I'm ready to go. You're coming with us to the potato factory. We're taking you with us. We're going to make chips. Not out of you. Just chips. Just with you. As companions. Fancy. <laughs> oh, thanks for making that real, guys. <laughs> that was buttons. Guys, I used to have a hamster that I would give baths to. Apparently, you're not supposed to no, do that. But they are so cute when they're wet. <laughs> and you can just, when you dry them off, it's like they need you. I think, I think that Mitzi the Barbecue Cover Hamster should be nominated for an Oscar. I yeah, agree. she got real. You did, you did that well, Stacey. You think so? Yeah. I, I've been known to look like a wet hamster. That's what I look like when I go to the shower. So I we gotta wrap actually. I got another one of these I gotta do right after. I have I have you my do? first shift at a <laughs> who? John McGregor. That's why he pops his head. Oh. I have my first shift at a bartending at a lesbian bar tonight. So oh my exciting. god, good luck. Excited about that. So did you drive all the way here from Rhode Island just to drive all the way back? Yeah. 
Wow. Oh, thank you so much. Great. Love you guys. <laughs> um, all right. Do you have, what do you want to plug? Yeah, you got the show. Oh, You're in the Dual Monday. The, we have our Dual Monday. Secret Stash has a Dual Monday. And we have our next big uh, sketch show, November 3rd, Monday, November 3rd. And then personally, I'll just plug my blog again, uh, learningtobefunny.com. And hamsters everywhere. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there's something about hamsters at Learning to be Funny. Guys, if you have $7 and half an hour, go get yourself a hamster today. No, they're, no. They're, Are they more? They're, no, well, they're mean, though. Is the hamsters? They, they're, they're nippy. They're a little nippy. They're, well, if you bathe them. If you have $7, get a burrito. <laughs> a hamster is burrito. Get a burrito with barbecue Yes, yeah, don't get a hamster. Don't get a hamster. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. This has oh, been great. Thank you, guys. Uh, Stacy, got anything? No. We got shows. We got Monday oh, shows. Well, that's both of our stuff. It's nothing particular. I don't know. I need to actually talk to you about everything we have going on because I feel like I'm a little bit overwhelmed with our schedule. All right. Claro, si no. Sounds good. Uh, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Stacy, and thank, thank you, you for, for listening. Bye. Au revoir. <laughs>